Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sound Stories, an inspirational podcast for creative professionals and storytellers who want to improve their lives at home and at work. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host and co-founder of Voices.com. We've all been told about the importance of having an elevator pitch, but actually getting your story straight? The story of who you are is often easier said than done. If the idea of networking makes your toes curl, this episode is for you. Taylor Schold is an associate producer at Sportsnet, where he gets to work alongside elite athletes, world-renowned celebrities, as well as a killer production team. However, landing this position was no small feat, and it required Taylor to become an expert networker, even going so far as to start his own company, Schold Media Group, to connect those in media careers. Today, he joins us to discuss how you can tell your own story and build your network in a way that truly is on brand for who you are. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, just so pleased to have you here, too. Uh, So as a graduate, I think you went to Ryerson, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a dream back in school of building a career in sports broadcasting. So Taylor, how did this pursuit lead you to become an expert in networking? Well, when it comes to the media industry, I think networking is one of the most important things. It's an incredibly competitive industry, and the thing that often separates people from one another is who they know and more importantly, who knows them. And when I was at Ryerson, I had a radio show, actually, that uh, we we did every single week. And one of the things we did to even just start getting our names out there into the field was to interview current on-air people who were at maybe TSN or at Sportsnet or who did play-by-play for, like, the Maple Leafs. And we would call them up or email them and ask them if they could uh, be on our radio show. And uh, that was the first step into networking because then you try to get your name out there as much as possible and – when you you know end up graduating, you want to be able to have your your name out there, and when people get it in an email, they know who it's coming from. And I love it when you know who something's coming from, because as you say, you build up that relationship. People get to know who you are. They see you in different capacities, maybe even different contexts. Uh, I know that your company started out of uh, something very interesting. You had been working at the CBC. Why don't you tell us a bit about that journey and how Schold Media Group became uh, what it is today? Yeah, I started interning at CBC at Hockey Night in Canada in my fourth year at Ryerson doing the radio and television arts program. And um, shortly after being uh, an intern, they hired me on a couple of days a week. And then from there, I kind of showed I could, you know, cut my chops. And uh, from there, they hired me three days a week, four days a week until I was finally hired on staff. Um, but once that happened, we had a changeover in the government and uh, they were cutting $100 million out of the CBC budget. And that was uh, a few of my salaries. Uh, once over. So CBC is uh, is unionized. And usually when the last person hired is the first person let go, I knew I was going to be one of those cuts. It didn't matter based on job performance or, um, you know, how much potential they may have seen in you. If you were the last person and you're the first person out. So I kind of knew the axe was about to fall and I needed to figure out a way to get my name and my face and what I do out to the industry because I'd only really met people at CBC, outside of the people who I'd interviewed on my radio show, I'd only known people working in Hockey Night and working at CBC Sports, which the jobs were quickly shrinking. So I needed to branch out and I need to figure out a way where I can cold call people at TSN, at Sportsnet, at Global, any other network and say, hey, listen, here's who I am. But instead of just calling them up and you know giving them my name and my elevator pitch, as you were mentioning before, I needed a reason to talk to them. So I figured if I started my own networking group 
where I could actually pitch them uh, that I'd be featuring them on this website based on their career, their journey, their advice, and I could pitch that to other people in my shoes who are still learning and want to know more about the industry. And that way, you know, people really like talking about themselves and they're more eager to, to chat with you if they know it's going to be outside of the one-on-one realm and be seen by a lot of people. And so from there, I reached out to someone, uh, Jay Onright from TSN was one of my first ever interviews. And amazingly, he said yes. So by getting Jay Onright in the first, you know, two months or so of having the site online, it really kind of legitimized it. And when I could tell other people, hey, listen, Jay Onright from TSN, who's a huge star, you know, he, he talked to me, then other people were also more willing to do it. And that's just the power of networking right from the ground up. Wow, that that's really impressive. So Taylor, you had contacts basically at Hockey Night in Canada, people at the CBC. Did you draw on those folks too when you were first getting started or, or did you just kind of try to branch out and introduce yourself to other people first? No, I definitely used the contacts that I already had um, because they knew me. They knew what I was going to be doing was sort of educational and going to be helpful for others. Um, a lot of them were also former RTA grads from Ryerson. So a lot of them were also from the school I was I went to. And so that really helped as well because, again, same thing. They were able to put the school's name forward and, you know, the program that we all graduated from. And it was really cool because they were really, really helpful in getting me off the ground to start with. And then not only that, but they were also helpful getting me freelance jobs or getting my foot in the door at other networks as well because the media industry is so small that you know people at other networks, even if you don't realize you do, because you've worked with them either in the past or some of your colleagues have worked with them in the past. And the, net, and the business itself is just so small that you can't burn any bridges and word gets around fast on who's good and who's not so good. So you always want to keep on the, on, the, on the positive side for sure. Awesome. So would you say that networking has changed your life? And if so, how? Oh, it for sure has. I mean, I've met so many great people um, through this networking group that have not only become, you know, connections, but they're actually friends now, right? It's not just, you know, exchanging business cards and, you know, birthday emails. It's actually getting together, having drinks, talking about the industry, uh, different things like that, which just helps build those relationships even further. And now because people have realized that I'm a connector, I get to meet so many other people because they know who I can connect them with. So that's one of the real beneficial parts for me is getting to meet so many great people in the, in the business. And I've observed your LinkedIn account, obviously on Twitter. You've got a lot of people who are involved in what you're doing. So congratulations on that. Um, I'm a connector too. So so everything you're saying is, is really relevant to me and it makes a great deal of sense. Just thinking about how networking for some people though, isn't exactly easy. You know, maybe they feel a little awkward doing it. They're not sure how much business versus personal information they might share. Um, give us a little lesson, if you will, on how people can network in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Well, nowadays, I mean, there's, there's the online portion, right? Like that's how you and I connected was through LinkedIn. It's super easy to see someone's profile and say, oh, wow, this person and I might uh, either get along or be able to help each other down the road. And a, a quick you know, LinkedIn request with a little note saying, hey, this is who I am. This is kind of why I want to connect that kind of breaks the ice. And if they don't want to, you know, it's, they just hit ignore or they clearly just ignore it. 
and it, it sort of eliminates that awkwardness of meeting somebody in person for the first time where, you know, it, it is kind of awkward to call someone up out of the blue and, and cold call them. Or um, if you're going to a networking event, going up to them and, and saying hello for the first time. Um, if you are at a networking event, the thing I always say is try to bring a friend because if you bring someone with you, instantly your guard is down a little bit because you have someone you know. But then if you're at a networking event as well, everyone else is also there to network. They're not there just to sit in the corner and, and sip on a drink by themselves. They're, they're there to actually meet other people. So as soon as your mindset changes to, oh, man, am I bothering this person to, oh, this person is actually here to talk with other people, now it's maybe my time to go up to them for the first time and, and introduce myself. And, and as weird as it may sound, just holding something, like having a drink, doesn't have to be alcoholic. If you want to have a water or like a Diet Coke or whatever, just having something in your hand makes you feel more comfortable as well that you're not uh, kind of fidgety and not knowing what to do with your hands. And just having that uh, outside of your, uh, out of your mind, it'll make you feel more comfortable as well. Now, that's a great tip about having something in your hand because I know that I often talk with my hands. Sometimes I need to restrain them a little bit. Uh, but having something in your hand can calm you, as you said. Um, usually it's a cup of tea in, in one of my hands or, or some water, but, uh, you know, it gives you something to do. So many of us worry about what to do with our hands and, and how not to look awkward. Uh, I know the kids these days have fidget spinners. <laughs> I'm not, you know, necessarily someone who's used one or, or even, um, you know, making that something I would recommend. But but everybody has that insecurity, you know, just a little physical tension maybe and, and having a way to manage that when you're already nervous about meeting people is, is a really great tip. Definitely. And even when you're meeting someone for coffee, um, if you just have the, the cup of coffee on the table and you kind of just wrap your hands around the, the cup, like even just doing something like that makes things less awkward. The warmth from it makes you feel more comfortable and it just allows the conversation to flow. And it's such a small thing, but being comfortable meeting someone for the first time makes them comfortable as well. And then I think the conversations just flow so much smoother when that's the case. No, I agree. And to go back to the whole idea of the elevator pitch, I'm just wondering, like, since it is kind of one of those cliche, you need to have one of these, you have to be able to explain who you are and what you do in, in a very short amount of time. How can you do that in an authentic way that doesn't make you feel like you're selling yourself or that you maybe you're you're like really self-centered? What are some tips that you have for presenting yourself well to somebody when you first meet them? And also how much information is too much information? When should we stop and let the other person begin? Right. So the first thing that I would always do is firm good handshake, right? Like that giving a bad handshake off the hop just almost ruins the experience for me when I've met people who, who give bad handshakes. Uh, eye contact and being, you know, uh, and smiling at the same time really helps just calm everyone down and ease them. And in terms of what you're actually going to say, you want to be really brief. I mean, people don't know you yet, so they don't need your whole story. They just kind of need a very brief cold notes. And you don't want to go on too long, but you also kind of don't want to just skim over things. So it's a fine balance, but I find the best thing to do is almost tell a little bit of a story. Like, you know, I, I went to Ryerson. I graduated from radio and television. It was a course that I really, really wanted to get into. And then from there, I landed them at Hockey Night Canada. And then for me, I'm lucky because everyone's like, oh, wow, Hockey Night Canada, tell me more. So it's easy for me. But if, you know, you, you sell pencils or you sell fidget spinners, you know, it might be not quite the, the most uh, exciting job where people really want to find out more. So you're going to have to put your own spin on it to try to figure out, well, what can I say to get these people a little bit interested in who I am and, and what I do? 
And you do want to develop a relationship along the way, right? So I know it can be really hard for people also to raise their profile in the industry circles without looking like they're just someone who's out for themselves. You know, how was it that you were able to raise your profile? I know you've used your own company to do that, but how might someone else do that if they don't have their own company like you do? Um, I think just leading by example and showing up to work every day and, and doing a really good job because the best reference or the best thing to get you your next job is personal recommendations. So the way after I got let go from CBC, I had a, a great personal recommendation from guys at the CBC who helped me get in at Sportsnet and Sportsnet was only a, a freelance gig at the time. So then the people who at, were at Sportsnet actually helped me land a full-time job at the NHL network. And because the in- industry is so small, for the media world anyway, everyone had worked together either at the CBC or they worked together at TSN. Like there's always connections here or there. And it was because I tried, you know, they, they could see me, you know, busting my butt to get really good work out every single day. But also I was trying to meet as many people as I could because I, at the time I was freelance, you know, he was working two shifts a week, three shifts a week, picking up whatever you could get. And it was basically the word of mouth from the people within the industry that helped me land each job. And the example of how I got the current job at Rogers at Sportsnet was because when CBC um, kind of merged a little bit with Rogers when they bought the big hockey deal and the people who I used to work with at Hockey Night, I still had a good impression in their minds because I left on a good note. And then when the people I was working with at the NHL Network, they had um, connections with the boss who was hiring for, for Sportsnet. So it was like a three-pronged approach. You know, I'd send in my resume, and then I had people from other walks of life within the, within the industry telling the guy doing the hiring that, hey, Taylor's not a bad guy to, to take a look at because we've worked with him at these different places, and he's always been a pretty good employee and a, and a hard worker. And that personal, personal recommendation, I think, put me over the top in comparison to others. So that was kind of my, like, bullet in the, in the chamber of trying to make sure I can get at the, the hiring manager from – all angles. No, that's an excellent answer. And I'm really glad that you shared about how you went about doing that. From your other work, you you mentioned that you did interviews. And I think that that's a really excellent way to connect with people. When you know that you've got uh, similar interests, maybe they're even at a stage in their career where you would personally like to be. Um, Your strategy worked really well for connecting with those like-minded people. But how else might someone be able to find their tribe, if you will? Uh, there's a lot of good resources online. Like I know um, LinkedIn is fantastic. There's 10,000 coffees um, where you can actually go on there and see what people um, are interested in. And it's more of a professional site than like a friend site or like a dating site. So it, it is almost like a, da- a dating site, but for, for people in um, a professional sense. And even LinkedIn's like that too. So I always would find, go on there, make sure your profile is always up to date as much as you can and filled out as much as it can be because people do actually look at it. Make sure you got a picture that's not, you know, a selfie or a photo of you and somebody else. The photos on those profiles should be really great. And if you don't have um, a professional to do it for you, like no problem, go to somewhere that's um, got a nice background, like either outside or at a nice office building or somewhere downtown and get a couple photos that will take you two seconds to do, but it will really help elevate your profile. So you got to make sure that your, your stuff is completely filled out and you put your best foot forward and your best image forward. 
Absolutely. So I was just thinking about what you said about the headshots or the avatars that people are using. Um, This may go without saying, but should those photos be the same on all the social networks that someone has profiles on? Uh, I think so. Like, I think for me, I have the same photo on Twitter, on Facebook and on LinkedIn, uh, as well as even like Instagram. Like I just personally like to have the same branding for myself across all the different platforms. And the same goes for username. If you're on Twitter, if you're on YouTube, if you're on Facebook, um, try to keep your username almost the exact same across all the platforms. Because especially if you're going to be, let's say, tweeting, uh, but you want to have that go on to Instagram as well, and you just do a um, linked post, if your username is the same, your tag will, will copy over, and people will be able to click on it and find you much easier than if your, your tag didn't actually have the, the link on it, if it was a different username. And I think the same goes for your photo. Make it easy as possible for everyone to find you and to make sure they know that's who you are. It's all about building trust, really. And so having that consistency, that kind of cohesiveness across the board, it really does help. And, and as we were talking about platforms, this, this question kind of popped in my head. But does the platform that you're interacting on matter? And, you know, what happens if someone isn't necessarily as advertised, let's say, in person as they are on social? Like, how does that make you feel as someone who's being networked with? Well, you definitely feel misled. And I mean, I think you really want to have your your photo and your profiles really represent you as accurately as possible. Because the last thing you want to do is get on the wrong foot with somebody who you're trying to build a personal or professional connection with. Um, If you're going to be doing business with somebody and exchanging actual money, you don't want to be um, misrepresenting yourself or you don't want to be misrepresented yourself. So Make sure everything is as accurate as possible, and make sure your yeah, you make sure your profile picture is up to date. If it don't you know if it's ten years old and you've really changed, maybe it's time for an update. Um, I know my my photo. It's not you know not from a professional or anything. It's at a networking event actually that I was holding, and the photo that you know the people were taking was great for for me anyway. And I put it up, and now it's the same photo on all my accounts, and I look the same way I did two years ago when the photo was taken. So. I keep it up on on all the accounts and I feel like that's a true representation of who I am. And I think that people who meet me and who know me would understand and agree with me. And it's just one of those things that be as true to yourself as possible because people really know when you're being inauthentic. And that's one of the biggest things to building a proper brand for yourself is by being as authentic to yourself as you can be. I love that you said that because we've talked a lot on this podcast about just, you know, personal brand, story, um, brand in general. But you need to be consistent and you need to know who you are and to be honest, uh, you know, about who you are on all these platforms. So I'm I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Now, something that's really, really neat um, that I obviously appreciate that you do is that you hold a lot of interviews with many different people. People, varying levels in, in uh, their career. So what is it that you have learned over this time about being in media from these interviews? Is there anything that's like a little nugget of wisdom that you yourself have taken from that that you could share with us? Well, it's not easy. That's the biggest thing. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's a great job, but there's so many people who want to who wanna do it. And like I work at Hockey Night and there are eight of us in total who have the same sort of role. That's eight people in the whole country who do the opening montages for Hockey Night or who get the clips for Ron and Don or, you know, when Elliot Friedman wants to talk about somebody, we'll gather all the footage. Like there's not a lot of people in the country who who do that. So you need to be able to stand out and you need to really be able to set yourself apart and above the crowd 
and one of the best ways to do that is by basically being yourself, but also being someone who is actually, you know, pretty, pretty talented. Like it's, it's not a business where you can coast by. You need to be always coming up with new ideas, um, with, with great ideas that will help build the shows that you're working on. If you're working on a particular show, even if you're working on the news, you want to be able to, you know, get the best possible sources and people have, uh, they need to have trust in you. Um, if you're working in PR, you need to be able to have relationships across many different facets of the industry between, you know, the corporate clients and the, the journalists that you might want to get your stories out to, um, even all the way to, to news sources that maybe want to reach out to you if they have a question or something. So there's all these different variables. There's no there's no nugget or like secret formula, but by being incredibly authentic to who you are, but making sure that you have a bunch of tools in your toolbox that you can really pull from when any situation arises, that's an, a, a very important thing. And this is where that networking skill comes in, right? Because how else would you have made those connections with the different groups of people? Would you consider yourself to be a bit of a social butterfly, Taylor? You know what? Not in my personal life. Like, I pretty much have a pretty close group of friends. and But professionally, I yeah, I mix and mingle with people from all walks of life because I find that incredibly fascinating um, to meet people who you know, work in hockey or who work in PR, who are investigative journalists. Like I love talking about the media. That's almost become my hobby in itself is just networking and meeting new people within the industry. Cause I find that really, really interesting. But in terms of my actual social life, you know, I've made friends through the group, but my actual core group of friends is, is pretty tight knit. And, you know, you can't be super shy in this business, but you also don't need to be a social butterfly to be a good networker. You just have to be able to, you know, break the ice in conversations with people you don't really know. You need to be able to um, kind of put out a good vibe where they, you know, don't feel standoffish by you or like you're trying to sell them all the time. You want to be a bit softer in a sense where I've been to networking events where you can tell the person just trying to sell you on either themselves or their brand or what they're doing. And, and that's real a real put off for me. So if you are able to be a bit softer and be a bit more personable, that always goes a long way in my book. No, I like what you said, Taylor, about having your friends who you hang out with and likely have known through school and in other ways. And then you have people that you're involved with in business. And for someone who's a connector like you, it is important to have that core group that you can always go back to and be energized by. So when you're networking, how, how do you draw upon I guess, the energy to do this if it isn't necessarily something that, that you would pursue in, in your personal life? Um, for me, it's almost like um, something that you, you need to do in, in the media world. Like it's pretty much in my book, networking is part of your job because sure, part of my job is to make sure that everything I produce for Sportsnet and for Hockey Night is, you know, top notch, A plus all the time. But having a job and keeping a job in this business is very tough these days with the industry itself getting smaller and smaller and people being laid off here and there. Part of my job, I think, or part of my livelihood is to making sure that I keep my um, skill set high and my, um, my network large enough where they know what I'm doing and what I can do. Because if I get laid off from Sportsnet, I need to be able to go somewhere else and I need to know the people who can help me with that and through this networking group, part of the whole thing that I, why I started it was personal, um, for personal reasons. Like I needed to meet more people in the business. And by, you know, it's not a where do you find the energy. It's 
you know, I have to have the energy to do it because otherwise I don't think I would be as, as, as successful as I actually am. Those are great points. Uh, it is part of our jobs, really, that you need to get out and meet people who are different from you or people who are similar, um, others that you can add value to. So if any of our listeners want to become, you know, the Taylor Schuld of their industry, let's say, um, you know, a, a connector of people, then how would they go about doing that? How could they be kind of a rising star in their own industry to draw people together to create value the way that you have? The real easy way to do it would just honestly set up um, sort of like industry nights and they don't have to be fancy or, um, you know, cost any money. You can basically set up a, um, an event on like Eventbrite or on through your Twitter account or your Facebook and say, hey, anyone who's interested in the, meeting some like-minded people in, you know, you know, business or PR or whatever you, whatever you do, you can set them up and, and you can talk to a restaurant and say, hey, can we bring 20 people out on a Tuesday or Wednesday night when we know you're going to be slow? And you know what? They're going to let you do it for free. They're not going to charge you for, for the space because you're going to bring them people. But it allows you to really sort of be the person that everyone comes to when they come to an event like that. And you're automatically the connector then because everyone, you're kind of the nucleus to the group. And by being that nucleus, as soon as someone walks in the door, they're instantly drawn to you. And then other people realize that and they see that and they feed off that. And it almost elevates your own position just by doing a simple um, like little meetup after work for drinks with, you know, 10, 15, 20 people. It doesn't have to be 100 people. But by doing that and by having these events or by building your brand on social media and having people want to come out and meet you, it really goes a long way in elevating your own, your own status. Excellent. I love that. That That is something that everyone can do. You can find a, a group of people or a network or even like a, a, you know, a group that you already have online that you're connected to and just say, hey, you know, we're the local, you know, broadcasters in this city and, and we're meeting up at this place at this time. Just come casual, say hello. Uh, sounds like a great evening. You've given us a lot of wonderful tips on how to do this properly, this networking thing. But I mean, there's got to be people who do this. <laughs> Not such a wonderful way. Um, maybe they're making these mistakes honestly. They just don't know. Uh, talking about faux pas. So Taylor, what sort of things might someone do that they maybe don't realize aren't particularly good networking experiences for others that they should curb when they go to network the next time? Well, the number one thing, if you go to a networking event, do not get drunk. Like you would be so surprised how many people actually have one, two, three, four too many drinks at these networking events. And that's like the number one turnoff for me is when someone's completely over the line. And you know what? Have a drink. It, on a, it's not bad to go to a networking event and have a beer or a glass of wine or something just to loosen you up just a little bit, but let it end there. Uh, the other thing is being so unaware that they don't realize they've been talking about themselves for like the last 25 minutes and they haven't let anyone else get um, a word in edgewise, and they've just been blabbering on about themselves and what they do. And you got to be aware that people aren't there just to hear all about you, that they need to have the conversation and be engaging. That's another big thing. Uh, and then also being someone who can't take a hint when the conversation's over and monopolizes people's time. Because if someone goes to a networking event, they're also there to meet you know, you, but also 25 other people. And if you try to capitalize or monetize their time, um, you know, for 25, 30 minutes, when they really want to sort of bounce around the room, that, 
you know, gives them a bad impression of you as well because you don't realize that they're making you someone who is, you know, feeling you're um, getting stuck in a corner and you can't actually go and meet the people you wanted to meet. I love those tips, uh, especially the ones about monopolizing people's time. Uh, that That is really hard because you know, you are there. It's a networking event. You, you want to meet multiple people. And I know that sometimes people find it hard to warm up to others. And so when they finally find someone they can talk to, it can become difficult to maybe pull yourself away from that conversation because you're like, oh, I've got a new friend and this is this is great. Um, but we do need to realize that there, there are uh, ways that people let us know, maybe politely, and, and for some of us might not be able to pick up on them very well, that they are done. What are some of the ways or the subtle cues that someone might send another person if they want to end a conversation? I think if you want to end a conversation, it's always good to almost like bring someone else in to kind of uh, break the ice a little bit and break up their constant stream of uh, consciousness. Like if you say, oh, there's my friend, Mike, I'm going to bring him into the conversation. Hey, Mike, meet Stephanie. And then we get a kind of a triangle of a conversation going rather than just a straight line from someone to someone else. Um, another thing is saying, oh, sorry, like, you know, I, I need to go refill my drink or I just saw someone come in that I need to say hello to. Like there's all these different ways you can kind of get out of the conversation. There are times though, where some people just they don't care. They're just completely um, there to talk about themselves and to monopolize your time that you honestly have to be a little rude at some point saying, hey, like, you know, great chatting with you, but I have to go and meet some people that uh, are here to chat with me as well or who I wanted to meet um, as well. So you got to be, I mean, you're, you're there for yourself. You're not there for other people, right? So if you do have to be a little bit uh, rude to someone to say, you know, I think our time here is up um, and move on, like you got to do it sometimes because you're there to, to benefit yourself, not to benefit everyone else. It's not easy to say to someone, you know, we're done. <laughs> but there are some some nice gentle ways that we can do that. And that's that's great. And to be able to pick up on those things too is great. Now, I want to make sure that before we go, I give you the opportunity, Taylor, to tell everybody about your website, uh, especially those in the greater Toronto area. I think that they would really benefit from what you're doing. Uh, where can they find you online? So online, you can find us at uh, com. And we're on Twitter under Shoal Media Group. We're on Instagram under Shoal Media Group. On Facebook under Shoal Media Group. Like we're everywhere online. Um, and it's basically a website where I've compiled a whole bunch of articles that either I've written or people who have uh, joined the community have written um, about the industry, about how they can find jobs or what advice they might have. There's people who have written blogs about kind of their story. Um, you know, from school into finding new jobs or having to move out west to find a job. Um, I post a lot of uh, profiles on people within the industry as well, where I ask them questions about kind of how networking has helped them, what advice they may have for people who want to get into the industry, you know, how you can stand out. Um, and then I also post jobs on there too, because people a lot of times come to me and say, hey, do you mind posting a job? Because we know you've got a large network of media followers. And we want to get it out there. And that's not something I charge for. I just do it kind of on, out of the goodness of my heart to draw more um, views to the website and get more people following along and joining the community. So it's a real good place to get kind of industry news, what jobs are out there and to, to meet really, really cool people within the media industry. All right. So one more time, that website, I, I know that people may not know how to spell Schold. So I want to make sure they know it's S-H-O-L-D. It's like sold, but with an H. Uh, and so just give us that domain name again, if you would, Taylor. It's sholdmediagroup.com. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on Sound Stories. Oh, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already done so, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, as well as give us a rating. We love hearing from you and gathering your feedback. Once again, I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli, and I hope you can join us for our next Sound Stories podcast.